Welcome to Melangela's Soul Garden Podcast, the platform that makes a change. We'll be helping you to navigate a new life, boost your potential, grow spiritually, enjoy nature's ways, reinvent a creative you and so much more. Hosted by Melangela. If you would like to be notified about new episodes, you can subscribe to my newsletter, where I also share some exclusive contents. There will be no spam, and if you don't like it, you can unsubscribe at any time. You can find the link to the newsletter in the description of the episode. Now, on with the show! Enjoy! Hello, I'm Melangela, and you are listening to Melangela's Soul Garden. Today, featuring none other than Susan Wheat. Now, how did this happen? Up until now, all the episodes featured people who either got hurt and managed to turn their lives into wonderful, encouraging stories, or professionals who look on life from new, different perspective. So how is Susan different from the rest? Because she makes nature almighty an absolute star in that very specific way. As for the topic itself, I have not spoken about foraging uh, up until now, as I wanted to start slowly and rather than, you know, scaring people off. Uh, Of course, in Slovenia, I know a lot of people who forage for for wild plants and mushrooms. Mushrooms. Unfortunately, and mushrooms as well, yes. I'm a bit scared of that, but that's another story. Uh, the problem only is not many people are willing to, you know, step forward and speak English. So I thought, mm. my goodness, this is just the right moment for mm. Susan Weed. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I learned of Susan some two, maybe three years ago. A very good friend of mine told me about her. And uh, I still just cannot believe my eyes. I am looking at Susan and she's beautiful and smiling as always. Uh, So a very, very good day to you, Susan. And to you too, Melangela. And how are you? Uh, Well, you know, um, 15 weeks ago, I was wheeled into surgery and they operated on me for 17 hours. Oh my God. Then they put me into an induced coma for 13 hours. So I lost 30 hours out of my life. And then I was in the hospital for two weeks until I was able to actually stand up and take a few steps. And then I was returned home. And I have been getting stronger and stronger every day since then. I um, came home and came home on a Tuesday. And that weekend that there were classes scheduled and I taught those classes. I taught those classes by having my futon taken outside so that I could lay down. And I taught the first two hours of a class. And then my pastor apprentices were here and they took the students out on a walk to see the plants we'd been talking about. And then they helped them get pick salad, pick wild salad and eat lunch. And then they continued their walk. And then they came back to me. Meanwhile, I had had lunch and a nap. And they came back to me and I finished out the last two hours of the class. 
So that's how I did the first two classes. This past weekend, I did from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. two classes, took everybody on a walk myself, did the whole thing, the whole two classes from start to finish. I had a live-in apprentice who was a wonderful help, helping me feed people infusion and, and pick salad. And the first week, I went to yoga class because our rule here is you go to yoga class whether you're going to do yoga or not. And I slept through 99% of the yoga class. This past week, I went to yoga class and I did 99% of the poses. What, what, what can I say that other than I'm lost for words, you are just an so, amazing, strong person that just... But it's not just me. It's the seven medicines, which I talk about in my new book, Abundantly Well. And we'll, so get, the, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there, time. right. Yeah. So what we're looking at is the foundational medicines, right? Which is serenity medicine, story medicine, mind medicine, and lifestyle medicine. And when those are in place, and when you're doing those as you are, Melangela, as an everyday part of life, then when somebody gives you a diagnosis, which is a scary diagnosis, there's not so much fear because you say, I have money in the bank, in my personal bank. I have filled up. I am strong, right? In COVID days, I was in the hospital in COVID days. Nobody was allowed in my room besides a nurse. I had nobody to advocate for me. I brought herbal tinctures. I brought herbs to make infusions. I couldn't even find the energy to ask a nurse to open my bag and get the stuff out. And they were willing so I, to do that? I, I couldn't find the energy to ask because I realized I either was going to be able to heal myself or I was going to be able to advocate for myself, but I couldn't do both. And so I let go of the advocacy and I said, I just have to focus on healing. And they gave me very bad drugs. They gave me gabapenta. They gave me tramadol. They gave me very, very bad drugs. Um, which I threw away the instant I returned home. As a matter of fact, the pharmacist in my exit interview said, now you have to keep taking these drugs because very bad things will happen if you don't, and you cannot take any herbs. And I said to her, you know what? I've been an herbalist longer than you've been alive, and you're not going to tell me what drugs to take and what herbs I can or can't take. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> You I are so incredible, Susan. Yes, I, I paid for all those drugs be. and they just went right in the trash and I started using herbs and yeah, you know, I'm you know, I I'm not gonna lie to you, I was in some severe pain. They spent 17 hours cutting, burning, right, removing, sewing, right? They took a piece of my belly and translated it down and recreated my vagina because in order to get clear margins, they had to take part of my vagina, but no met metastatic process. And I told them there wasn't and no lymph node involvement. And I told them there wasn't and they got clear margins. I'm not even scheduled for follow-ups as far as they're concerned. I'm completely cured. What a miracle that is. It is a miracle, but it's a miracle because a lot of things came together. When they suggested that I do chemotherapy, I said, I'm not going to do your chemotherapy. I'm going to do my chemotherapy. I'm going to do mistletoe. And there's an anthroposophic MD who lives within an hour of me. And I was doing mistletoe therapy under her tutelage. She's slightly older than I am, maybe three or four years. 
And um, we had been doing that mistletoe therapy for about a year and a half. And she said, you know, Susan, you did what they told you to do, but it didn't get rid of your tumor, did it? I said, no. In fact, it made it angry. Mm. And it slowed down for a while and then it started growing. And she said, it's going to grow to the point where your bowel function's going to be blocked. Are you going to die from being unable to have a bowel movement? I said, well, no, that would be pretty stupid, wouldn't it? To die because you can't have a bowel movement? She said, so you would have surgery at that point? I said, okay, I'd have surgery at that point. She said, well, can we agree that elective surgery is going to be safer than emergency surgery? I said, yeah. She said, then I want you to schedule your surgery as soon as possible. And I came out with every excuse in the book, why I couldn't do it, why it was wrong, why it was this, that. And she shot them all down, bang, bang, bang. And I called, you know, the doctor I'd been working with at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in Manhattan and said, I've changed my mind. I do want surgery. And within the week, they had me in for the scans to make sure there was no metastatic process. At that point, the tumor was seven centimeters. Five days later, they wheeled me into surgery. The tumor was eight and a half centimeters. That's how fast it was growing. My goodness. So oh, it, goodness. the miracle was that this older woman, that Dr. Anna, was willing to stand up and kick my butt. She was willing to be the one that says, this BS stops right here. Take a look at the future, Susan, and this is what you need to do. And I didn't want to do that. I very, very much did not want to do that. But she gave me the gift of not giving me any out. Hmm. And look at you. My yeah. goodness. I, I, say to my, I say to my students, you know, praise is free. Pay as much as you can afford for criticism. <laughs> You're something, Susan. You really are something. It was the woman who criticized me that got me to do it, wasn't it? Yeah. It wasn't Quite the one right. who said, oh, you're doing so well. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Oh, you're amazing. It was the one who said, you're BSing. And here's where you're BSing. And it's got to stop. And you're going into surgery. And call that doctor now. And my doctor just happened to have a free day in the surgery suite. Because usually those things are booked way ahead. Hmm. Well, you don't like, you know, get into surgery five days after your scans. It's unheard of. But that's what happened. But when things are meant to happen, they do. They happen. They and it was meant for you. It yeah. was, absolutely was. Yeah. And she, of course, you know, when I first went to her, she said, well, you have um, endometrial cancer. I actually had two different kinds of cancer, oh, and both goodness. of which I found, right, I spaced about two years apart. And I refused the surgery for endometrial cancer. And she looked at me and she said, no one refuses the surgery. And I said, I am. And she, she just couldn't. She herself had a complete hysterectomy and ophorectomy because her mother had ovarian cancer. In other words, she did not have a diagnosis, but she had surgery to remove her uterus and her ovaries because she never wanted to worry about it. So the fact that I had a diagnosis and was refusing surgery was so far out of her life ideas that she couldn't really wrap her mind around it. And I could see that she was in some ways dismissing me. And as she, we talked for a while, and as she left the room, she turned to me and she said, 
you know, the primary risk factor that you have for this cancer because you have an exemplary lifestyle is that you're overweight. And that's all she said. And in the next year, I lost 40 pounds. And she has since told me that I am the only woman who has ever picked up on her suggestion to lose weight and the only one who has never gained an ounce of it back. And that changed her viewpoint of me. So that when I told her and the three other surgical teams, because there were four surgical teams that worked on me, when I told her, you're not operating on a Ford, you're operating on a Mercedes. She knew what I was talking about. And I want to tell you that the lead surgeon came in to the recovery, um, you know, part of the hospital where I was for those two weeks, about three days after the surgery. And he said, you told me I wasn't working on a Ford. I was working on a Mercedes. And you're wrong. You're a Ferrari. Wow. <laughs> Even the said, I have never <laughs> operated on any healthier tissues. I advocated for and kept my ovaries. Goodness. And the yeah. doctor who removed my uterus because of the endometrial cancer, um, you know, put a lot of barriers in my path. And I said, you're leaving my ovaries. That's it. And after the surgery, she came in and she said, I have never seen healthier, pinker, more beautiful ovaries in my life. It was a great pleasure for me to leave your ovaries because mm -hmm. we now know and she had to agree that ovarian cancer does not start in the ovaries it starts in the tubes in the tubes and since she took my tubes along with my uterus there's nothing for me to fear there's nothing for me to worry about and she was willing to do that because i lost 40 pounds goodness isn't now, it amazing it is it is absolutely mind-blowing now being a cancer survivor myself Yes. Um, you know, uh, I understand it's never too late. I mean, even for those listening to us, it's never too late. Whatever happens in, in your life, it's never too late. And the perfect time is now or when you are right. Okay. So maybe I was hoping, Susan, if you could summarize the book, Breast Cancer, Breast health because it really relates deeply to how I felt and how I am today. Right. Well, you know, I start the, the book out by uh, providing information for women and men, of, of course, too, who can get breast cancer, who don't want to get a diagnosis. How can you strengthen and nourish your immune system? What are anti-cancer foods, right? What kinds of things do we need to incorporate into our lifestyle that will will help us and then the um next part of the book is for women who have a diagnosis mm. and i'd love and to hear this because what i what i heard was you are seriously ill we, we are not sure about your future mm -hmm. and the burden of this diagnosis was so heavy on me that at that point i thought well if this is the case, what else can I do? Probably the time is right for me to live. Can you imagine? I mean, instead of trying to be positive to, to make me see things uh, from a different perspective and make me think in a different way. No, they just cut my legs and I was, you know, uh, down on the ground. 
crying yes. and screaming and waiting yes. for this magic wand to help me out of the situation. But of course, nothing of the kind happened <laughs> until. <laughs> until, uh, until you made an actual decision that you were going to stay here. Absolutely. 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 So, so the next part of the book is for women who have a diagnosis and looking at uh, what's available. Someone said to me, you know, this breast book, this is like, what, like 15 years old. It's like out of date, isn't it? I said, well, no, actually it's still before date because mm -hmm. in that book, I said the vast majority of women with breast cancer will not benefit from radiation and will not benefit from chemotherapy, although they will tell every woman with breast cancer to do chemo, what they're now calling chemo radiation. And what is the science saying now? The science is now saying that 80% of women with breast cancer don't benefit from chemotherapy. Mm. That doesn't mean they've changed their minds, but you need to know this information. So it goes through surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, what you can do to protect yourself if you do choose these. And then the last part of the book is for those who are walking away because there is a time my dear friend marie found a lump you know on the left up in the axial area it was the size of a lentil mm -hmm. she went to the doctor they did a scan it was already metastasized over her entire body she was dead 136 days later and what we talked about was quality of life and quantity of because certainly there's always a chance. But at this point, that chance is not very big. Mm. So one of the things that Marie did was she planned her memorial service. And she wanted to be interred in the ground, not in a box. And she found out about, she spent that, those 136 days clearing her path to leave so that although we miss her, she was the one who knew where she was going. How beautiful that is. Yeah. But it takes my, a lot of courage. My, my beloved Fern saw a little bloody discharge after menopause, didn't say anything to me, was dealing with her mother's last year with Alzheimer's. And that takes a lot. And so by the time she managed to show up for a checkup, her cervical cancer was very well advanced and um she too you know she said susan i will take any herbs you want but this cancer is going to kill me she said to marie i will eat your macrobiotic cooking but this cancer is going to kill me she said to the doctor i'll do your radiation but this cancer is going to kill me you all have to understand that i will do what you want but it will be completely futile and what she wanted was she didn't want to be a burden. And so she was not because that was her choice. And she too, you know, she had a huge rosemary bush in her yard. And she said, when, when I have left my body, cut down my rosemary bush and pack it around me so that she could lay there yeah. and okay. we could bid her goodbye. So all three things, those who don't want a diagnosis, those who have a diagnosis and are staying here and those who are going on. So I highly recommend everyone was, to, I mean. Yeah, it was a difficult book. book to write. Mm. Because when I'm writing a book, I write for one person. But this book had to be written for two people. 
and had to be written for the woman who's being told you have breast cancer and being scared to death and you have to do these treatments and she doesn't. And I had to write it for the woman who's going to the doctor and saying, there's something wrong in my breast. And the doctor is saying, I don't see anything. You're wrong. But she's not. She's right. And these are two very different situations mm. that we may find ourselves in, both of which require us to become our own expert. Well, that's what you did. You became your own expert. People think, well, I can't become a doctor. You don't have to become a doctor. A doctor has to know about everything. You only have to know about what's going on with you. And it's really not that hard to become an expert about what's going on with you, is it? No, no. You only need to, you need to listen to your in, inner voice and really pay attention to that and respect the voice. Right. And sort of, you know, I would say ignore the rest, uh, the people who push you and sort of urge you to do things that you are not willing to because they're not good for you. Anyhow, what was yeah. your aha moment in, in life? And has that got, got anything to do with who you are today, Susan? What was my aha moment? I was about 10 years old and I had taken a bus to a swimming pool, um, YMCA swimming pool, and I had enjoyed my swim. It was cold, so I wanted, needed to swim inside. And uh, I know people are like, what? A nine or 10 year old was in a big city on a bus alone? Well, you know, children were considered more competent back then when I was a child. And our parents thought nothing of sending us out to play without being with us or putting us on a bus to go someplace we knew and coming back in the easy thing. Well, when I got on the bus to come home, Melangela, I looked around me and every adult on that bus looked so sad so angry, so disappointed, so what does it matter? And as I looked at all of these faces and all of these degrees, and none of them were thrilled to be alive. I didn't see a single adult on that bus that was thrilled. And I was thrilled to be alive. And I said to myself right then, whatever has gotten to them, I will never let it get me good for you good for that you. was my aha moment that was your aha moment okay good um but and so far so good so far so good so although far, you so good. you studied mathematics and artificial intelligence was it yes i was a mathematics major in college with a focus on artificial intelligence and and then you ended up sort of studying which is, in my book, the most beautiful nature almighty. <laughs> How did this well, you happen? Well, know, you know, there were, I was having a terrible time in high school. I really didn't like high school at all. And in my chemistry lab, my chemistry partner, Phoebe, said, why don't you just leave high school? I said, and then what? I'll be like a, you know, a dead-end person for the rest of my life. I have to graduate and go to college. And she said, you don't have to graduate to go to college. I said, what? She said, just take the test and you'll go to college. You're smart. And I said, really? They'll let me, at, you know, at 16, take the test? He said, sure. So as a sophomore in high school, I took the test. And sure enough, every college I wanted to go to wanted me. But MIT, which was my top pick, said I had to do <clears throat> remedial chemistry. Oh, my. It sounds <laughs> <They're right>. horrible. <laughs> I was talking to Phoebe the whole time. And with the, with the wisdom of a 16-year-old not, I said, I'll never need chemistry in my life. I'll go to UCLA instead. 
And there, of course, at UCLA, I was required to take a lot of courses that I would not otherwise have taken. I just would have stayed in the science and the math and been really focused at MIT. But at UCLA, they wanted, you know, a liberal arts education. So I wound up in a class with about, I don't know, six or 700, you know, freshmen, an introduction to English literature. And our professor walked in and had taken LSD and started reciting Rilke to us. The effect of Rilke on my 17-year-old soul. And this professor was so profound. I thought, oh my goodness, here is an adult who didn't let it get to him. He's still ecstatic about being alive. There are others. There are others. And I'm not the only one. <laughs> here's this teacher up there who's also ecstatic. And when the class was over, he went out and a hundred of us followed him like the Pied Piper. Well, needless to say, he was dismissed. But I then knew that my path was not the criticism of the criticism of English literature, but was LSD. And so I said to people, I left Los Angeles to go to Manhattan in pursuit of LSD. And they go, wrong way around, Susan. I go, no, 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 no. This is, while it's still legal. And the entire scene was in New York at Millbrook. He wasn't Ram Dass yet. Right? Mm -hmm. he, was, he was Richard Albert still. Yeah. So, uh, so it, of course, you know, no sooner had I come here to New York than they made it illegal. And then a year later, my friends at UCLA are going, nah, 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 nah. They're paying us to take LSD. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite something. <laughs> but, I was, but I was pregnant at that point. And so once again, the universe is taking care. The universe is saying, oh, she wants LSD, but she's pregnant. Not such a good combination. Let's send her to where she thinks it is and then take it to the other coast where she can't. Mm. <laughs> and so, so you decided uh, so to that, take care of yourself? Yeah. Well, you know, American herbalism is very, very different than herbalism anywhere else in the world. I have not been to every place in the world, but I've been to a lot of places in the world. And the reason that American herbalism is so different is that all of the founders of American herbalism starting from the 60s and the 70s used psilocybin, mescaline, and LSD. We all come to our herbalism literally from the ground up, not from our minds, mm -hmm. but from our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And huh. <laughs> now, when it comes to healing, you talk about three traditions i do talk about the three traditions mm. of healing the scientific tradition which measures and fixes mm. hey and cuts wearing, and, and does wearing, all the rest wearing, of it you're wearing glasses right mm. somebody measured your eyes and they wanted your eyesight to be what 2020 yes yeah what does that mean 2020 not much to me. That's, <laughs> that's what a 20-year-old white male can see at 20 feet. Mm. So your, your eyesight has been corrected to be the same as the eyesight of a 20-year-old white male. So we have to ask ourselves in the scientific tradition, if I don't measure up, do I want to measure up? When I was writing the breast book that we were talking about, I was horrified to find that many of the studies 
on breast cancer were done on men. And many of those studies were done with study groups of three to six people. Not really adequate. We're giving women information on how to care for themselves based on tiny groups of white men. Dr. Susan Love has put forward the Love Army. And she has said, you know, because what they said to her was, well, we, we don't have volunteers. And she said, there's plenty of volunteers out there. And she has a Love Army now of women, women of all colors, transsexual people, lesbians, everybody who says, we'll be in your studies. Let's really find out what happens with women. Mm -hmm. And as I have said, the results are already showing us what I said in my book over 15 years ago, which is that most women are not, who have breast cancer are not going to benefit from radiation or chemotherapy. Some will. But the if they majority, so decide, if they so decide, uh, if they, if they it, believe that this is the only way, I, I suppose. I, I'm not sure. I mean. <laughs> I've seen plenty of people who believed it was the only way die. Mm. So, but I do not, we're not talking about belief here. Mind medicine is an important medicine, but mind medicine is really kind of pushed to the side in scientific medicine. If you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. The heroic tradition mm -hmm. balances and cleanses. And that sounds pretty good on the surface of it. It does. It does. Yeah. But I'd like you to be balanced, please. Would you inhale? You're so balanced. It's really wonderful. I really see how marvelously bad. Oh, excuse me. I didn't say you could exhale. That's in uh, imbalance now. You're no longer in balance. <laughs> I'm not obeying the rules. <laughs> well, it's not a rule, is it? What I have just shown you is that life requires imbalance. Hmm. That balance, in fact, is anti-life. And the more we seek balance, the less life we have. Oh my God, you, you shock me, Susan. Goodness, yeah. <laughs> we believe. Can you, can, you, can you please say that again? Yes. Balance is the opposite of life. Life requires dynamic disequilibrium. Life requires an exhale as well as an inhale. Life requires us to be both positive and negative. Life requires us to go forward and to go backward. We have good reason to think that it all started with a big bang. And the whole universe was filled with hydrogen atoms. And you know what, Melangela? We would still be right there with the universe filled with hydrogen atoms if we were in balance. But about 0.0001 seconds after the big bang, there was a perturbation and that perturbation pushed the hydrogen atoms and made them start to swirl and to spiral and to coalesce into suns into stars which then burned that hydrogen created new elements in those nuclear factories blew up and spread all that stuff out because of the perturbation it swirled because of the perturbation eventually after a very, very long time, those disks 
around those stars got dusty and planets were able to form. None of this, no life of any kind is possible with balance. Wow, huge. 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 Absolutely huge. Cleansing. Let's go out into the forest and pick up every leaf and every stick. Oh, why are you shaking your head? No. Impossible. Not, not every. We can't, we can't pick up every. Well, let's do our very best to pick up every stick and every leaf. Okay. What will happen to the forest? Die. It will die. It will die because cleansing is damaging and destroying. Mm. It's one word that my apprentices are never allowed to use. They're not allowed to clean anything. They can dust, they can sweep, they can wash, but they cannot cleanse. Because cleansing is damaging and destroying. And anytime you hear anybody use the word clean or cleanse, especially as applied to the human body and health, please understand that what they're talking about is damage and just destruction. Oh my God. And then I just, I'm thinking of about washing my hands so, you know, fiercely these last mm -hmm. days during the Corona mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. Oh, goodness gracious. Mm -hmm. um, well, you know, Passage through inanimate objects is extremely low. Washing your hands is not going to do much of it at all. Have you, has somebody who has coronavirus sneezed into your hand? Then wash it. If not, do not go overboard. Because what happens is you clear away the beneficial bacteria that prevent the difficult ones from latching onto you. And MD just wrote a book called Dirty, in which he decided to stop showering with soap. And what he discovered was that his skin and his health became incredibly healthy because he had been washing away the good bacteria that protected him. And he says at this point, he hardly even gets in the shower anymore, even just to run water over him unless he's done something that requires that. And when mm -hmm. asked, his wife said, does he smell? His wife says, he smells like a human being. It's very attractive. And he said, the reason people smell and use deodorant is because they're showering and washing. And if you'll stop, you will smell good. Yeah. Cleansing is not good for life. So certainly wash your hands if you need to wash your hands. And when you, when you need to do that. But only when you need to do that. But you're not going to prevent COVID simply by washing your hands unless you're having direct contact, you're in a hospital setting, so on and so forth. You're living in the country. I don't even know. So then you come to the third tradition, which is the wise woman tradition, mm -hmm. which nourishes the wholeness of the unique individual. Wow, what a different way to be. There was a woman that I knew, you would say she had the perfect life. She lived in a mansion. She had wonderful children. Her husband loved her. You know, she had everything she wanted. And she loved to ride horses and her horse threw her and broke her back. And she lost the use of her arms and legs. And she had to be on a breathing machine. Oh, my goodness. And her husband left her and her children wanted nothing to do with her. And this is a point at which we could 
just throw the towel in and say there's nothing left to live for. That isn't what she chose. Because nourishing the wholeness of the unique individual does not imply that that individual is healthy by anybody's standards except their own, nor whole by any other standards except their own. And what she did, just like you, was she discovered her spiritual practice. And she became the person that everyone came to when they hit a rough spot in their life. Because of her, not because of what she had or owned or whatever. Because she was willing to nourish mm. herself as she was. That's what's hard for us all, isn't it? Yeah. To accept where we are right now and to accept that we are worthy right now. We don't have to turn ourselves into the perfect person. My friend Marie that I was talking about, at the end of her chemotherapy treatment, which was quite useless, in fact, made her bedridden, the doctor said to her, well, you failed your chemotherapy. And she looked at them and she said, no, your chemotherapy failed me. Good for her. But, you know, it's right there. Yeah, but what, a, what an awful sentence to say to a patient in the first place. Goodness. Well, tell you that you're very ill because cancer does not make mm. you ill. No. At all. No. You have cancer, but that doesn't make you ill. <laughs> but that, that's what I heard, you know, so many right. times. And it makes one despondent. It makes one think, Ugh, you know, what can I possibly do except do what mommy, daddy, doctor God tells me to do. And then we find out that mommy, daddy, doctor, God doesn't really know any more than anybody else, although they have studied and they can help a lot of people and they know, you know, how to measure and fix, but fixing doesn't create health. No, It can buy you some time so that you can create that health and you bought yourself some time with, with those fixes so that you could discover your spiritual practice. I'm not against any of these ways of being. What I'm for is for us to understand them so that we can choose what's appropriate for us because we're all different and we're different at different places, right? And Dr. Anna said to me, really? You're going to die, right, sometime in the future because you can't have a bowel movement? Really? You're going to be that dumb? No, Susan, you need to go across the gap, right? The first four medicines are the foundations, right? serenity medicine, story medicine, mind medicine, lifestyle medicine, and then there's a gap. And that gap reminds us there's danger over there on the other side of the gap. And the last three medicines are alternative medicine, pharmaceutical medicine, and deep medicine. And we come back to the three traditions here. Deep medicine in the scientific tradition is surgery, chemotherapy, radiation. Deep medicine in the heroic tradition is purgatives, cathartics, bloodletting, cleansing deep medicine in the wise woman tradition is psilocybin mescaline lsd right there is time and a place in our lives where we have to break through and that's what you did you broke through you hoped that what they were doing would break through but you discovered as we all do that that breaking through that deep medicine needs to be you. Back then, People's I didn't understand really certain things. 
and yes. I just, you know, followed, like followed orders even, that later on seemed, goodness, how is this doing me any good if I feel so bad and if I feel so vulnerable and nothing is okay for me? And then slowly, bit by bit, you open your eyes and you start realizing the beauty of life and, you know, the love of kids and my husband and life was just calling me and things were screaming at me like, tell you what there's so many paintings waiting for you to you, to be made and you know so many you things don't... you need to do I, yes i do a bit wow <laughs> and uh, i i just am very creative and i love working with with hands and i have green fingers and i thought now we just moved to this beautiful place and i need to leave i mean i mean what is going on? <laughs> so I started disbelieving this and I thought, hmm, no, no, I need, I need to change this. And then this question from my daughter about me leaving and, you know, dying really made me realize no way I need to be here for me and for them. And that's that. And that, that's the moment I started changing my things, uh, my, my thoughts entirely. You know, in China, it's considered malpractice if you send someone for chemotherapy or radiation treatment without giving them herbs. I didn't know that. My God. Oh, I, I, I only wish this would be... Because the chemotherapy and the radiation are so damaging to the body. And mm -hmm. the herbs make the chemotherapy and radiation work better while protecting the healthy cells. Right? How is it that that Western civilization has not come up to the mark here of what's been going on in China for quite a while, right? And, the, and that this pharmacist, you know, at Memorial Sloan um, Kettering Cancer Center, one of the largest cancer centers in the world, would dare to tell me, would dare to tell anyone that they can't use herbs, right? Why? Because she has no instruction in them, so she knows nothing about them. That's which okay. is a shame, which is such it's shame. A shame. It's a shame, mm -hmm. and especially because 100 years ago, to be a pharmacist, you would have had to recognize the herbs. It would have been part of your test. They would have showed you dried herbs, and you would have had to recognize them. How beautiful. How beautiful. How beautiful. <laughs> well, you know, right. And how wonderful, you know, that they had drugs that could put me in an induced coma and that I could come back from that. How wonderful that we had those drugs. How wonderful that all of that exists and that we have access to every single bit of it. None of it is bad. None of it is wrong. But what you're talking about, and I think it's very important, Melangela, is health. And once we go over the gap, once we go to alternative medicine, pharmaceutical medicine, and deep medicine, we are no longer talking about health. We're talking about staying alive, and that's mm -hmm. a different thing. That's and as far as they're concerned, Keeping you alive by destroying your health is justified. You know, there's a whole new uh, thing that they're training doctors for, which is to treat the cancers caused by cancer treatment. It used to be that people were so old when we treated them for cancer that they wouldn't live long enough to get the cancers caused by the treatment. 
but now you are a mere 40, right? And it usually takes 25 to 30 years for the cancers caused by radiation and chemotherapy to arise. That's well within your lifespan. Yeah. So there's a whole new branch of cancer treatment now, which is to treat the cancers caused by the treatments. Mm. They, they're not unaware of what they're doing. They just think that keeping you alive is more important than health. But what you're saying and what I'm saying is it's not an either or, it's a both and. It's a both and. You can use radiation, you can use chemotherapy, you can go for surgery, and you can maintain your health, but it's going to be up to you. You're the one who's going to have to maintain your health. They are not going to do that. No. You can trust them to do what they know how to do. My gym partner, her husband was diagnosed three years ago um, with cancer. And he decided to do exactly as mommy, daddy, doctor, God said. He was going to follow everything. And she was advocate because this was before COVID. And she, you know, looked at all the information. She talked to me. We talked about, you know, what herbs would protect him. And throughout the entire treatment, the doctors and the nurses kept saying to Yvette, this is so strange. Look at his blood work. His blood is loaded with minerals. Usually when we're giving this kind of chemotherapy, there's, the minerals just disappear from the blood. We can't quite imagine this. Uh, you have to give him Insure, otherwise you won't be able to nourish him. She says, I'm not doing that. I'm giving him these things. And, there's, and then they're coming back and saying, my goodness, his, his measure of nourishment is, is off the charts. You sure you're not giving him Insure? Right, and he was just back from his third year yearly checkup, and um, they said, "Well, there's some radiation damage here." And Yvette and I talked about that. We can't go to the gym anymore, but we walk. Right, we walk two or three miles every week, and um, so we laid out a plan so that when he goes back uh, for his next checkup, that radiation damage will be gone. Oh, brilliant! As My far God. as they're concerned. As far as they're concerned, it's there forever. But no, we'll get rid of that. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> this is available to all of us. This is not esoteric. This is very, very simple. And as you say, in breast cancer, breast health, the wise woman way, I you know, am very specific about that. And people have used that book to deal with a great number of cancers, not just breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And then in Abundantly Well. You know, I don't specifically Which is your last book? That, that is your last... Which is the most recent yeah. book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, Katie, would you do me the favor of going into the treatment room? And there should be a copy of Abundantly Well uh, laying right there, just to your right as you go in. And we can hold it up so people can see the beautiful cover. And I don't talk about any specific problems in Abundantly Well. I talk about these seven medicines. Um, but, of course, you can then apply those seven medicines. And I did to whatever is going on. I was hampered in that because I couldn't have an advocate and I was flat out in bed. You know, Melangela, for the first days, I couldn't even turn myself over. They, they, you know, they, in the surgical suite, they opened me in the front, rummaged around, turned me over, opened me in the back, rummaged around, turned me over, back and forth, back and forth. Oh because they God. wanted one specimen with clear margins. So they wanted to take both cancers together with clear tissue all the way around, which is why it took them 17 hours to get there. It was a very complicated thing. And I 
you know, used enormous amount of information from abundantly well, right up to a dear friend who was going in for elective gallbladder surgery. And she wrote out her entire list of all of the things that she did to prepare for surgery, get through the surgery, and then to heal after. So that's also in the book too. So it's a book, it's a must. It's a, it's a book that you must have. Everyone should read that. <laughs> Absolutely. Abundantly Well by Susan Wheat is a book that I highly recommend together with Thank the you. rest and, of them. And realize that I did this book during those three years between my diagnosis and the surgery. Yeah. Because one of the things that I know, and I'm sure that you know too, is that the thing that really makes us vibrantly alive is that we have something to give. Yeah, absolutely. And so I thought, you know, who knows what's going to happen to me. Perhaps I will die, but I have something to give and I'm going to make sure that what I have to give is in this book before I walk that path. It turns out I'm probably good for another 25 years, maybe another three or four books. We'll see. How wonderful that is. <laughs> How wonderful that is, Susan. I really appreciate your effort. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Now, wow! In 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 our home, we just have a a, a dog, a, a little rascal, Ozzy, and then three cats. We used to have some fish, but that's another story. In your home, you have you have um, um, uh, dairy goats. Not in my home; they're in the barn. In the barn. I mean, not not in in, in your uh, <laughs> on your homestead. That that that, that, that was, homestead, uh, right, what right, was right, I right. saying? <laughs> Yeah, okay. I don't know if you've heard it. There's an old Jewish joke about the Jewish man who complains to the rabbi that there's no room in his house. And the rabbi <laughs> no, says, right? And the rabbi <laughs> says, bring the chickens in the house. And he brings okay. the chicken in the house. And then he goes and he says, now there's less room than ever. And the rabbi says, good, bring the cow in the house, right? So, oh my goodness, this is worse than worse. Bring the goat in the house, bring the sheep. And finally, you know. <laughs> Literally says, okay, in the house. And the man says, oh, thank you, rabbi. I live in such a big house. <laughs> I was saying on your on your homestead you have dairy the the dairy I goats. A, I do keep a herd of dairy goats, right? And yeah. I keep some rabbits for food, and uh, I do have a house cat because otherwise there's too many rodents. Mm, mm. <laughs> right? I don't like rats in the barn and mice in my kitchen, so we keep a a, a nice cat who is uh, capable of at least spreading her scent around to make sure that those rodents don't come around. Yeah, and um, just have you know. Uh, a delightful time uh, here as where you are. It's the time, the prime time for mushrooms and how delicious and delightful. I woke up about a month ago and I said, you know, I've been living here since 1978 and I have found my talking once on my land. This year I'm going to find it again. And within two days we found a my talking mushroom Oh bigger than the screen. God. It weighed over 20 pounds. We harvested half of it um, to leave for others who might want in deep Europe where you live, um, where I have harvested mushrooms. I could see that other people had already harvested and then we all left for the next person mm-hmm. to come. Mm-hmm. But here, no, nobody came and harvested the rest of the mushroom. That's okay because it spread spores. Yeah. Right. So but for the next have. time. <laughs> so for the next time. So just surround it with mushrooms and plants and beauty. And in fact, I live in one of the most beautiful spots on the planet that you can live in. There's very beautiful spots that you can't live in. 
but I live in the Hudson River Valley in the Catskill Mountains. And it's uh, a spot so beautiful that it created um, a school of art, not just a school, but a way of painting called the Hudson River School, which wow. isn't a school, but a way of painting landscapes that are so vivid and so alive that you think the fairies are going to jump off the canvas, grab you and take you off. Oh my goodness. How because that that's what it's like here. Magic. Oh. Total <laughs> magic everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. How nice is that? Oh my gosh. Susan, would you tell us about your daily routine? You are so full of energy. I mean, where, where all of this comes from? I mean, partly I know the reason. I'm, I mean, I, yeah. I know the, the answer yeah. to that. Yeah, but but tell our you know, listeners. I, I often talk about your average person. The average person wakes up and I hold me some <laughs> coffee. me <laughs> my coffee. And they drink their coffee and now they're awake, right? And they go off to work. Well, that coffee wears off. Two hours by, later, three. And by 10 or 10.30, you need more coffee and you're getting hungry. So you have some refined carbohydrates. Processed flour, processed sugar, right? Mm. With your coffee. And that gives you a, enough of a bump to get through to lunch. And now you go off to lunch and you're a little worried about your weight. So you have a salad for lunch, which means no nutrition of any kind because nothing on this planet eats raw food except for a few not well put together people. <laughs> Wrong way to go. They think animals eat raw food, but animals only appear to eat raw food. And we can go through the animals one by one and show you that they're not actually eating raw food. Um, and you can go to YouTube and find the raw versus cooked debate if you want to know more about that. So they go off to lunch. They don't nourish themselves. By the time they get back to the office, now they're really like, <laughs> so they have to have another cup of coffee or maybe two cups of coffee with more refined carbohydrates. And now by the time they're done working, they are so wired and they are so up that they need some wine to calm down. And once the bottle's open, you might as well have another glass. And, you know, it's not going to be that good. So you might as well, you know, drink. I may be whiskey on, on the rocks. Uh -huh. <laughs> and that's going to disturb your sleep. You're not going to get to the deepest levels of sleep. And so are you awake? Oh, you need some coffee. So we've gone up and down and up and down and up and down all day long. And this is how people think life is supposed to be. So what I say to people is don't change your diet. Let your diet change you. Mm. Eat and drink whatever it is you're eating and drinking. That's absolutely fine with me. Add to your diet nourishing herbal infusion. So I prefer to make mine in the evening. You don't have to make it in the evening, but last thing at night, I weigh out 30 grams of herb. I put it into a liter jar. I fill that jar to the top of boiling water, put a lid on it, turn off the stove, turn off the light and go to sleep. It's got to steep for at least four hours. Overnight is fine. The next morning I get up, I strain it, squeezing the plant material to get all the liquid out of it. Put the plant material in my compost or throw it out on the lawn, whichever works easier for you, and then refrigerate that liquid. And I drink that liter of nourishing herbal infusion throughout the course of the day. Once you start drinking nourishing herbal infusion, what you eat is going to change. One of my apprentices said, I hate you for making my M&Ms taste so bad. This was after drinking nourishing herbal infusion for 10 days. And she said she opened her bag of M&Ms and the smell made her want to throw up. Oh my God. 
And this was a woman who ate a one pound bag of M&Ms weekly and had for years. And suddenly she said, I couldn't even get them up to my mouth. The smell was so bad. She said, and I forced myself to put one in my mouth and my mouth went and spit it out. Don't change your diet. Let your diet change you. Start drinking nourishing herbal infusion. It provides real nourishment to your tissues, nourishment that your tissues have been seeking for your whole life in an instantly accessible form. You do not need to digest a nourishing herbal infusion. I've worked with people who've had their intestines completely removed and they thrive with the nourishing herbal infusions because they go directly in. As soon as you swallow it, it starts going into your blood. You don't need to have any digestive capacity. Mm-hmm to get the nutrient there. And that then primes your body to know what's really good for it. People say, well, I don't understand how I could even listen to my body. And they go, well, of course not, because you're not giving your body the nutrition that would make it smart enough to talk to you. So start drinking your nourishing herbal infusion. Again, you can go to YouTube and you see me making nourishing herbal infusions and talking about them. I rotate through five, stinging nettle, the herb of energy. You drink stinging nettle, you wake up, you're ready to go. Go, 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 go. No dips, right? No valleys, no peaks. You lay down and you go to sleep whenever you want to go to sleep because you had energy from the ground up with stinging metal. Oat straw, the world's largest selling sexual tonic. Or as one woman <laughs> said, I got to menopause and my libido went on vacation. And then down there, it got so dry. It was like a desert with sand dunes and camels. She said, then I got new menopausal years, the wise woman way. And I started reading that book and I thought, oat straw, that's, that's the one for me. She said, I started making oat straw infusion. She said, within a month, my libido came home with company and down there, it turned into an oasis with date palms and dancing girls. (laughs) Yay, oat straw. Wow. Linden. People have heard a lot about turmeric and turmeric's anti-inflammatory qualities. But the fact of the matter is that most white people, most people of European extraction. We are not used to turmeric. Not, not really. We're not used to it. It's not going to do anything to you. Mm. What's your anti-inflammatory? Tiel. Linden. Linden. Absolutely. And it just thrives here in, in Europe, in Slovenia in particular. Right. And Linden is not only a wonderful anti-inflammatory, it's a mood enhancer. It makes you smile more. Don't change your diet. Let your diet change you. Red clover. If you took the roots of a single red clover plant and laid them out, they would more than go around the equator of the globe. This is a plant that has incredible root system. It's in the bean family, so it nourishes the soil. And then it brings to you a tremendous amount of ingredients that are nourishing. One thing that red clover does not contain is estrogen. Please tell us a bit, a bit uh, about that because I know many people are just frightened to death about phytoestrogens and you know how things are going to get very dangerous for them, especially for ladies who got diagnosed with hormonal cancer. Please mm-hmm. tell us again and again. Have you heard- have you heard of the drug tamoxifen? Yes. Who takes tamoxifen? Uh, women who have a breast cancer diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. And women who don't want to get a breast cancer diagnosis, but have the genetics for it. Right. Yeah. So tamoxifen 
is the drug that's given to women with a cancer diagnosis or who want to prevent it. What is tamoxifen? It's estrogen. So now, why not phytoestrogen? Exactly. Because people do not understand that estrogen is not one thing. There are the estrogens your body makes. Did you notice I used the word, the plural? Human women make 30 kinds of estrogen. We start making 29 kinds of estrogen in utero. Mm. By the time we are a five-month-old fetus, we are already making 29 kinds of estrogen, and we make those 29 kinds of estrogen every day of our life until the day we die. No woman is ever deficient in estrogen. It's an impossibility. The 30th estrogen, we start making at puberty and stop making at menopause, but that's just one of the 30 estrogens that we make. It's very deeply connected to fertility, right? and the others are not. But that estrogen feeds cancer, and the other 29 don't. There are phytosterols in plants. Plants are not mammals. They don't need estrogen. There's no estrogen in plants. <laughs> this is a misnomer. It's not phytoestrogen. It's phytosterols. And those sterols can be converted into bioactive hormones. But that depends on your body. Now, red clover, I just said, is in the bean family, right? Mm -hmm. It's a plant in the bean family like astragalus. So there was a scientific experiment. They took 100 women and they fed them a serving of beans. Okay. Beans contain phytosterols, just like red clover does. In fact, every seed and every root contains yes. phytosterols. Mm -hmm. Carrots contain phytosterols, right? Whole grain rice contains phytosterols. Bread contains phytosterols. Phytosterols are everywhere. And right? we still eat all of that. And we still eat all of that, right? So when, the, when those phytosterols are converted to active hormones, that's a metabolic process. And that metabolic process causes metabolic byproducts. So we can get an idea of how effective any one woman's body is at converting phytosterols into active hormones by looking at her urine and seeing how much metabolic byproduct is there there. If there's a lot, she did a lot of conversion. If there was a little, she did very little conversion. So we measured the metabolic byproducts in the urine of these 100 women and divided them into groups of 25. The 25 who excreted the least, the next 25, next 25, and the 25 who excreted the most. So the women who are most actively making hormones from the beans, as opposed to the women who were making the least. We then followed those women for 10 years and the women making the least had 400 times greater likelihood of being diagnosed with breast cancer. How mind-blowing that is. They all ate the same serving of beans. So we simply cannot say that red clover is dangerous in any way at all. In fact, red clover is like the 29 hormones, estrogens that you make which prevent the dangerous estrogens from being absorbed and feeding that cancer. Where are we getting these dangerous estrogens? We're getting them from the environment. Mm. These cancers, right? The cancer that you had, the cancer that I had, these are environmental cancers. Mm. 
right? There are chemicals used in our food supply. There are chemicals used in bleaching paper products. There are chemicals used in making plastics that are estrogenic. They're not something that we have to turn into estrogen. They are estrogenic and they are the same kind of estrogen as estradiol, the dangerous estrogen we only make from puberty to menopause so that we, and we stop making it menopause so that we can go on and live healthy lives. So three places we can get estrogens, our own body, which has 29 safe ones and one dangerous one, plants, which contain no estrogens at all, but we can convert their phytosterols into estrogens. And the better we do that, the less breast cancer we're going to have. And then exogenous estrogens, which are in the environment through chemical and industrial processes, which are like the dangerous estrogen that we make which is why we want to use plants like beans and red clover and brown rice. Absolutely. Fill that receptor site because there's only one receptor site for estrogen. There's not hundreds of different receptor sites for estrogen, just one. So the short path estrogens that are metabolized freely and easily from plants and made by our own bodies get there first and block the way. That's what tamoxifen does. It's an estrogen blocker by being an estrogen. So red clover is herbal tamoxifen. I know it's a rather long-winded explanation, but it's a fairly complicated subject. But it's a good one and worth <laughs> listening to. Absolutely. Right. Thank you for and that. Then, and then my fifth herb that I use in rotation is comfrey leaf. Comfrey leaf. Oh, another, another sort of I, delicate uh, thing. Uh, another <laughs> one in which people have demonized comfrey. Right? So... Over the past 20 years, it's become standard medical practice to give people over the age of 60 daily aspirin, yes? Mm -hmm. To prevent stroke and heart attacks, supposedly. Yeah. And yet we now know that more people are dying from internal bleeding caused by the aspirin than would have died from the stroke or heart attacks. Are people now, like, scared of aspirin? No. No. Have you ever been able to find any evidence that comfrey has harmed anyone? I haven't. No, not really. No, no, no. no. So what, what's the big fear here? The big fear is it could happen. And yet we know that drugs do it all the time, mm. but we still take drugs. So that's what I say to people. My sweetheart has a family history of death from heart attack. His father died in front of him in his early 50s. His, my sweetheart's cousin just died last year in his early 50s from a heart attack. My sweetheart's 74. He's never had that heart attack, even though his cholesterol, his total cholesterol is over 400. And what they want is 200, hmm. right? Because he does not have inflammatory process because he is working with nourishing herbal infusions. As a matter of fact, he did have a bypass and the surgeon came to him and said, I've never seen anything like it. You know, you had three coronary blood vessels that were 80% blocked at least 10 to 20% of your heart should have been dead. He said every single cell in your heart was alive and not just alive, but thriving. This is lifestyle medicine. Yes, we might need surgery. Yes, we might need to have a little assistance here, right? So that he doesn't have that heart attack, right? But within that, and now, you know, that he's under the doctor's care, and they're putting stents in to keep those places mm -hmm. open. 
and doing angiograms, we can actually see the blood vessels. We can actually see that the herbs that he's using are causing new blood vessels to grow to his heart. Wow. Beautiful. And that's how his heart. So was drinking, so alive. drinking right. herbal infusions help a lot. Don't change your diet. Let your diet change you. Start drinking nourishing herbal infusions. Don't worry about anything else. Drink your coffee, drink your whiskey, eat whatever you want to eat. It's fine. As you start drinking the nourishing herbal infusion, your body will start telling you what is really going to be helpful to it. And it is important not to just put a little something, but 30 grams and then pour like around a liter of uh, boiling water on top of that and right. lead it and make it sip. And make it sit for at least four hours. Have you been drinking nourishing herbal infusions? I have started. I have started watching your <laughs> watching your you? YouTube episode, and I thought, oh God, now this is new. I need to try it. Uh, nettles for the time being, but um, maybe oats. We need to. <laughs> we maybe need uh, needing some oats as well. <laughs> and are um, you are you finding that your energy has evened out since you're drinking the nettle? Yes. I think, yeah. I think so. Yeah. 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 Most, most people find that very, very rapidly. In fact, I bring, uh, uh, I do an event called the, the green goddess apprentice week. And, um, this year there were eight women here. We kept it small because of COVID so that we could keep physical distance and they drink nothing but nourishing herbal infusion while they're here. And I don't let them have any desserts until Saturday night. We start on Monday morning and Saturday night, then they can have desserts. And I bring out the cookies and chocolate, right? And we do our goddess pageant. And they're, you know, I encourage them. I pass the basket around. Oh, have some more. And no one wants more, that? Right? And they <laughs> hardly eat half of it. How did and we I talked guess? about it. I said, what went on? And they said, I had a bite of the chocolate. It tasted so good, but I didn't need another bite. Mm. So uh, I'm not saying that you're going to suddenly lose your taste for chocolate. Chocolate's a food group. Come on. You're always going to want good quality chocolate, but you're not going to try to eat it to replace the nourishment you're not getting because the nourishing herbal infusions really are nourishing. And early, um, before we started recording, you showed me this beautiful tea blend that you made from herbs that you've gathered. And uh, that tea blend is a tea blend because it contains many herbs together and the nourishing herbal infusions are generally only one herb. If one of those herbs doesn't delight your palate, then you could put a pinch, which is the amount you can get between your thumb and your forefinger, a pinch of something from the mint family. Peppermint, lemon balm, mm. a little bit of sage, whatever it is, just a little pinch, all right? Because the aromatic herbs, when infused, give their oils, and those oils can be very difficult for the liver and the kidney. So that tea that you make, which has lots of aromatic herbs, is a tea. It's a mix of herbs. It's a tea. It's aromatic. How wonderful. It is. But the and nourishing I... herbal infusions were mm. not, you can, there are other herbs you can use besides the five I favor, but I suggest that people start out with those. But you would never make an infusion of peppermint or sage or lemon balm. Those are aromatic herbs and those are teas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for explaining that to us. Sure. Maybe the closing question. Um, this challenging times, the Corona times, <laughs> um, what is your take on that? I mean, to go out, absolutely. I would imagine go out in the sun and breathe and smile and 
what what is your advice really you know we're starting to see that um there is a very big difference between people who get covid and are symptom free and that's the vast majority of people and the people who get covid and are in the hospital or on ventilators and may die and at first they were saying well there's these risk factors you know if you're uh, have asthma or if you're obese but at this point we're not thinking that really those risk factors are that important what the herbalists think is that there is something called host defense and this is not just your immune system but your psyche as well what is your relationship to disease process i'm certainly not saying that you can think this away i'm not saying that at all but i am saying that part of those foundational medicines is mind medicine hmm. and you found that when you changed your mind things changed in your body too absolutely so we want to instead of cowering in fear washing our hands a million times and thinking oh oh the big bad wolf is going to blow my house down to instead say what can i do to promote host defense i'll drink my nourishing herbal infusions right i'll eat a broad diet of well cooked foods and i will keep not only a good attitude but i will offer whatever i can offer to others i will Because be of service i will be, I of, will service be of service to make my heart happy and smiling as well <laughs> right <laughs> now i do have a free course you can go to wisewomanschool.com i think it's .com um and there's a free course on the best herbs to use to help prevent and to deal with covid thank so you so that's that's my service my offering to you mullen of course the great and beautiful verbascum so is the the herb of the day right antibacterial antiviral strengthening and nourishing to the lungs and the you know past apprentices that i'm in touch with who have had covid have said that the mullen got them through it they never went to the hospital right and their their symptoms some of them were symptomatic enough to be in bed as one said i i could not i there was no way for me to do anything but be in bed and yet even in the midst of that her herbal allies served her so well that she was able to come through that but so this, this this is what i'm looking for i i'm not promising you that you won't ever get covid possibly every person on the planet is going to get covid right from the looks of it and that but what we want is for you to be in that very large group of people who have few symptoms or who get through their symptoms without the threat of death. Great. So, dear listeners, um Susan is I, I before actually studying her biography, I thought this beautiful woman is, you know, in this happy beautiful place in her peace and quiet and, you know, enjoying that peace and quiet and be there Oh my god how wrong i was because she <laughs> she does so many things she uh she she does workshops she does courses writes books uh to the point she's written five about childbirth then menopause then um 
the, breast the breast health. and the uh, uh, cancer and breast health. And then um, another then one, two, the last two general, two general books, yes. like the Green Book, which is about the three traditions that we talked about. Yes, and the Green and Book, then abundantly well, which is about the seven medicines. And the, the last one, abundantly well, which is the must, absolutely. And um, we, we told you about how she does it beautifully with her herbal infusions. <laughs> so, Susan, dear, where? Can people find you and connect with you? You can come to SusanWeed.com. I keep the sun in Susan, but we own SusanWeed.com and SusanWeed.com. So spell it or misspell it. You'll get there. There's about mm, six or 7,000 pages of free information there. In addition, I mentioned WiseWomanSchool.com, where I have video courses, um, including the free course on COVID and a course on working with nourishing herbal infusions and a course on adaptogens and a course called A Cancer Diagnosis, Help Yourself the Wise Woman Way. So lots of wonderful things there. And I have correspondence courses and correspondence course students all over uh, the globe. And you can find my books and my correspondence courses at wisewomanbookshop.com. My God, what else can we say? But thank you ever so much for taking your time, for being my guest and for sharing all these beautiful pieces and, and useful pieces of uh, information uh, that I'm sure all of us will use. Thank you ever so much. And I really love you. <laughs> thank, thank you, me. Melangela. Remember, herbal medicine is people's medicine. It is the medicine that grows right outside your door. Green blessings to you. I admire all that you're doing. And I cherish the loving heart that you're putting out into the world. Thank you. Thank you ever so much. Thank you, dear listeners. Till next time, keep smiling. Melangela.